0: Hello creeps welcome to the horror Vanguard I'll be your ghost I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror night breed or nearly two hours of psychoanalysis theology and queer horror with labor Kyle <laughs> psychoanalytically speaking incriminating yourself <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i mean I'm, I'm aren't we all constantly incriminating ourselves isn't that uh isn't yeah. that how desire really works yeah um is, is, that, is
0: that not the condition of having a super ego is just this endless painful drive to incriminate yourself Uh huh.
2: we were talking about the the internal cop pretty much as soon as we, you got on this call uh kyle so. <laughs> um shall i lead us in yeah, why not? Hello, everybody. It is Horror Vanguard. My name is John, your co-ghost, joined as ever by my friend co-ghost and producer extraordinaire Ash. How are you doing?
0: I'm uh, doing doing pretty good. Feel like I slept in a grave, which uh, you know, for today's conversation is incredibly appropriate.
2: Yeah, fitting, fitting. Um, and as we as we occasionally do. Uh, Ash and I have performed the necessary arcane rituals, made the requisite sacrifices, uh, and have summoned a guest back to the Horror Vanguard crypt. Labour Kyle's here.
1: Oh, man. I was going to try and play the PlayStation 2 startup sound here. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that sound plays every time I enter a podcast. Um, or the uh the gamecube startup basically they say necessary incantations which for me is turning on a playstation Mm -hmm, and then i just kind of show up um with a bunch of single player rpgs that are like 80 hours long and it's just like nah like we can just like trade off every 10 minutes or whatever anyways i'm glad to be back (laughs) in the crypt (laughs) uh guesting on my favorite podcast with with the buddies, it is like it's, it's you know it's a home cooked meal of an afternoon, um, and I'm excited to particularly talk about the film that y'all chose. I appreciate it. Uh, I just appreciate you having me. I'm happy to be here as always.
2: Before we get to before we get to the uh, to the to the excellent the exquisite delight of the film discourse, Kyle plugs plug the things that you do on the internet for the people
1: so i um i like to make i like to make essays um <laughs> <laughs> I, I i i post them on youtube i talk a lot about uh some of the things that you talk about on this podcast like films and television and video games in particular it's kind of turned into my niche but i'm a i'm an academic historian um who likes to post and you can follow me at Labor Kyle on Twitter um, and on YouTube in particular. I also do some streaming every once in a while. We're going to bring back some of those here soon. Um, and uh, I'm also the co-host of a different podcast called All Gamers Are Bastards with the other YouTubist, Kay and Skittles. Though Skittles is really running the show and the podcast and the earth. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, we should all bow to her will. But um, yeah, you can follow that on various feeds at agab pod and uh we have an episode a couple episodes coming back so by the time this drops there should be some new stuff for people to listen to including episodes on hades and episodes on the game sea salt and uh, i personally would like to recommend an episode on resident evil featuring the hosts of the horror (laughs) vanguard podcast Um, i hear they're very good i hear they're they're very 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 good very kind good. of
2: specialists
0: on Resident Evil. Yeah. I, I oh, uh, at, at this point, I, I believe they hold the definitive analysis for Resident Evil, yes. Yep,
1: yeah, uh, this is what the scholarship says. Uh the historiography <laughs> um is pointing in the direction of horror vanguard. Um you should not resist it. Uh resistance is futile. Um yeah, yeah. Just 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 don't just don't just ease in. Just ease in, just don't fight it. You know, uh,
2: we will we will keep banging the agab drum. Uh, please listen to the episode that we we did uh, with uh, Kay and Kyle. Please listen to the episode that we did when we had them on our show. Agab is good. Kyle's videos are great. Please check the show notes for all all of the relevant links. Um, but we have brought Kyle back to talk about maybe one of the great. Authors of horror. Um, I, I still I, I genuinely can't believe this is the only only the second time that we have talked about Clive Barker on the show. And we are is talking really? about Nightbreed. Um, and I am I'm so excited for this bit. I've been excited about this bit of the show all day because right now, for me and for Kyle and for everybody listening. Ash is going to just explain very factually, very, you know, very dry, very, very basic way. Ash, what is what is Nightbreed all about?
0: This movie circumambulates the contents of its own dream. It shows us the way not to a true reality of Midian, but to the interplay of reality and illusion that is Midian becoming the external world. The film knows that which we have forgotten. That the nature of dreams is not to have a coded message sent to us by the subconscious. It is to speak with the hidden part of our own mind. Dreams are not illusions or coded messages. They are a way of speaking with the unconscious, or more directly, of accepting that the unconscious mind speaks with us. Dreams tell the truth. Our conscious minds provide the illusory anti-interpretation. To affix Midian and the tribe of the moon in a single meaning, and to be satisfied with that, is to ossify not where the monsters go, but ourselves. Just as monsters turn to dust under the sun, so do we turn to dust under the illumination of fixed meanings. We are shapeshifters with crude plastic molds binding us into a single form. We wear masks that start as constructs obscuring shadows and, in time, become more real than the flesh of our faces. In knowing the self, we change the self. The self is fluidity and the body flows like the river. Only the ego thinks it knows solidity. Only the ego fears change. You are holding the key to Midian. Come unlock the door with us.
2: Yeah, well, we're not topping that, are we? We're not 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 topping that.
1: (laughs) (coughs) I feel like I got the wind knocked out of me. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> this is like, why don't like the real proposition and the real way to make this episode longer than it needs to be is to go full meta and to say like, how is, why is not more, like, why why are we not writing in a way that like, and I'm not just talking about like magical realism, but that is like indebted to theories of sort of like it's of subjectivity of workers that we find in like latin and south america why aren't we being more po- we should be we should be more poetic and these sort of the pressy in horror vanguard is often i think an affirmation of something that i would really like to see and it's mostly because i just grew up with like emotional cliche and like like evangelical like, speaking of like a, cultural i've been talking in dms with these two guys about cultural slurries of like films and stuff uh this this sort of like paste that like really really like if we're thinking of you know works of art as like bound to processes of production it's a it's the chicken nugget of culture which like we all eat it we know it tastes pretty decent and we need to be brave enough to see how the slurry is made into the chicken nugget and here's the thing: What if we can not eat? What if we really can not eat the chicken nugget? Um, what if we really can like craft something artful and informative, and like you know, uh, almost excessive in its ability to sort of capture our attention, which is really like the the sort of core of economy. Like now, and will be in, even more so in the future. I'd say, um, I guess. I guess what I am trying to say is that the the Percy at the beginning of uh, horror vanguard episodes reminds me of sort of the ideas that Fisher talks about in in the introduction to the lost book, Acid Communism, which is how uh, our our re, like refusal needs to take on a more joyous critique of that that which binds us to contemporary subjectivities oftentimes we're just displaced within this sort of cultural milieu that's so alienating and exhausting and like what if we can just make something beautiful and what if and this is where the horror vanguard thing comes in it can also contain within itself something very important and uh i don't know Jesus fucking Christ, Ash. Fuck you, Ash. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you.
0: Oh, yeah. I, think, I, was, I, think, I was gonna say, uh, <gasps> welcome to the first episode of the Darrow Precy podcast, where we'll be doing in depth analysis of my two minute ramblings. <laughs> I think
2: I think I think in 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 all seriousness, in all seriousness, one day I think we're just gonna release a supercut of all of them that you've done. Um I think that's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna we'll we will we'll Put it together, and people will get all all of them.
1: How to understand, and then insert movie. How yeah. to understand X, Y, and and then it's just the pursuit from Horvanger. Yes, yeah, that's great. God, <laughs> what a gu- what a gu- what an amazing bit of writing. That was so well, good. It's almost,
0: it's almost as if someone should pay me to do this, but book length.
1: I mean, uh, if someone's not, they're fucking up. <laughs> Repeater books. I just referenced <laughs> one of your books. <laughs> I'm going to reference at least one other one before this podcast is over. Call us, DM us. I'm including myself too because I'm selfish. Oh no, good.
0: Yeah. Any, anyway, uh, either you seen Nightbreed?
2: <laughs> well, I think we all have some takes. We all have some takes on Nightbreed. Um, but uh, as we as we have started to do now as a regular feature on the show, join us. In the, in the formalist, formalist zone, zone. <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about the kind of formal structures of Nightbreed, cuz um uh, it's uh, it's um it, it's the very definition of, of of a lot going on a lot a go- lot going on here right
1: uh, per- perhaps the most going on i will uh um i'm familiar with sort of the general uh chaos that is the manifestation of nightbreed and i don't just mean within the context of the film itself but um i may need to defer to y'all on your expertise um give me the skinny
0: so i guess the first place to start is that there are like multiple versions of this film right um including like lost versions of this film like this was intended to be the beginning of Clive Barker's horror fantasy epic. This was supposed to be several movies, and it, it was going to be uh Clive Barker's kind of horror answer to Star Wars.
2: Yeah, that's how is, he described is what he was it. aiming
0: at. It was that's it was a very attack and dethrone god kind of thing.
2: Um so Barker makes Hellraiser for two million dollars, which is nothing. Uh yeah. they give him eleven million dollars. Uh, to make uh, an adaptation of *Cabal*, which they insist on changing the name uh, to *Nightbreed* because that seems more commercial. Um, there are, there, which is just nonsense. Uh, he so he did it. He did a he did a test screening with with an unfinished score, which apparently went down like a lead balloon. Did a recut and a, and did another version, which went much better. Um, but it was way too long, according to the studio, and they. Uh, Barker didn't have final cuts uh, privileges so there is, uh, Ash can correct me if I'm wrong, but there is the theatrical edition which is about 100 minutes long, which is about an hour and 40 minutes mm-hmm. there is the Cabal cut, which is um, a little bit longer, then there is a director's cut uh, which is really long and then I, I think there is a, a repeatedly lost Three-hour yes. version of this movie. Yep. Yes.
1: I I would li- I would like to. I don't have much money, uh, <laughs> at all, actually. But I have uh, uh, lots of skills that I could trade for anyone who can fit. I don't know how to like, like how do we put out? Like, who do we call? Who do we call about this? David Cronenberg. Who do we- <laughs> <laughs> Get him on the horn. Well, we're okay, we're David, opening up our new Patreon
0: tier. We're opening up a new Patreon tier that's buying the rights to Clive Barker's Nightbreed. Uh, it's, it's one tier and it's uh, $500 million. So if you can throw in for that, uh, we will buy the rights to Nightbreed and restore the full length cut. But I think so. a big, a big problem is that because uh, it's Clive Barker and he's a director that has ideas and thoughts... Um, he 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 wanted this to be really gay. He wanted this to be really weird because it's Clive Barker, and these are, of course, two things he's very interested in. Yeah. But the <laughs> studio was like, "Hey, uh, what about what if this was just kind of a slasher movie? This
1: what if the doctor's just another too. psycho killer?" Weird gay shit. Like mm-hmm. I live for weird gay shit. <laughs> no, it's like it's. I mean, that was his whole thing. Like he he is he is unrepentant in his like sort of inclinations and which is why he has this ability to capture so much, like wh- why he is, and, and we're going to talk about dreams. I know that I, I know that, but like there, there's oh, this, yeah. there's this part of dreams that at this condensation that is implicit within, not within dreams, just within dreams this is why dreams are useful for understanding psychoanalysis in general. But like this process of sort of, Reduction, superimposition, the sort of overlapping context that manifests itself um, uh, for people who sort of came after Freud. It can manif- set manifest itself metaphorically, and can get. It works in this process with all these other means of representation and symbolization to where one thing becomes another thing or multiple things become one thing, or one thing is split into multiple images that are representative of the parts of the other things that existed before they became one thing. The the level of complexity that's needed in an under, no matter whether you are doing your best to break as radically with Freud as possible, or if in affirmation of Freud, the complexity of subconscious activity within human beings necessitates either a say more like rhizomatic schema through which someone can like create these points of fixed representation that then merge and spin off into other kinds of representation and they interlink in this sort of horizontal grid scheme, or whether you see the sort of constructions of subjectivity as this bromian knot between these interplaying types of absence that also contain within their absence forms of presence that give weight and shape to that. It's complicated is the point. That can that has to be made for interpreting anyone who actually is making decent art is that the complexity sometimes necessitates a discomfort that well I mean to Clive Barker was never going to be good enough for capitalism and never going to be good enough for the film industry like because he's and the reason why is because he's too good you you are Mm -hmm. you can't be bad he's not bad enough I guess is like he's not mundane he's not. as derivative enough he's like he like he creates something new out of the sum total of various parts in this sort of very like beautiful emergence of myth making this is way better fantasy than fucking star wars i'm sorry i don't like star wars i've used (laughs) horrid maragon as an opportunity to say that i don't like star i've never really liked star wars and it's because it doesn't embody either the right it for fantasy it's so like straight down the middle and for science fiction it's not because it's not science fiction and it's very theological and like i'd rather just watch the fucking robe or i'd rather just i'd rather just watch a sword and sandal epic with this like you know you know the leads are these stereotypically big hunky hollywood guys and that's always kind of been my thing so like that you know (laughs) i'd rather just stop saying the quiet part quietly and and saying it loudly you're you're saying something a quiet thing In a loud way so you're like mag star wars is the magnification of this tiny little whisper of like meaning just like eh. and then it turns into this disgusting big ugly noise and like nightbreed is this like this big inversion of a formula of fantasy that seeks to place the quote unquote reality of people's actual lived experiences in something of conflict with the capital R real uh, that boils over and sort of in, in these sort of gaps and schisms in the configuration of our social world emerges this like absolute horror. And the idea that like this, there was there was just so much in this movie that I'm sure just got completely like fucking ripped out of its own asshole because like. No one was ever going to understand Clive Barker enough for him to be able to make this movie. They're just like, what if what if we changed the name and jackets? Everyone wears jackets like the kids will love that. And it's like, what do you think this is? What do you think? Like, did you they, I, like what do you think I'm making here? I don't know. It's just it's Wait, got like had to this have wasn't been.
0: a jacket commercial.
1: I mean, come on. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, the, like man, Nightbreed brought to you sure. by denim like Jesus Christ.
0: No, I, no, not not going to lie though, Cabal Cabal has a look that I wish I could pull yep. off with great consistency. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like we're all thinking it. Let's let's
2: be real. We're all thinking it. The thing that's kind of heartbreaking is Barker tells the story of how um, the studio execs said, "No, we're not going to bother screening this film. We won't do critic screenings to promote it because the people who watch horror movies don't read reviews." And it's like, oh. Fuck you!
1: <laughs> we read the reviews, and that's why we all hate you. Because <laughs> <laughs> you suck. You can't write about horror movies. You do not know how. Clearly, you have demonstrated you don't know how. This is to criticism, film criticism, moral art. Uh, but look, but look, we look what we have ended up with.
2: It is, it is uh, deservedly regarded as a cult classic. Uh, I, I, I think it's an incredibly rich text.
0: It, should, it shouldn't be a cult classic, though. This should just be a regular classic. The fact that this movie has to just hang around the same rungs as other cult cinema, like, that's so depressing for me. Like, sorry to interrupt, but to kind of, like, speak to something Kyle was saying earlier, like, I, I see a lot of lists of, like, oh, best queer horror, best LGBT plus horror. And, like, I've seen several of these lists where Clive Barker doesn't make it. What? Why? You know, and, and that's my 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 reaction is like what, you, you know, and I think a huge part of that reason is like Clive Barker is making like gay horror before capitalism kind of goes back out and reabsorbs queerness and repackages it in ways that you can sell, right? Clive Barker isn't doing like uh, queer trauma cinema about like. A young man in a rural conservative community who has to face, you know, go up against the odds and embrace his real feelings. And he's not also making this kind of like blasé, celebratory celebratory stuff where it's like a young man in a rural conservative community has to embrace. Like it's like these like very tropic, very formulaic things. And he was one working before those standards kind of emerged as the de facto way to tell these stories in a marketable and saleable way. Yes and he's instead of going for these like very surface very symbolic very trite stories he's he's telling an experiential reality right like he's, he's 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 like getting into what this means for him and his experiences and that is something that it's hard it's hard to slap the fucking cereal box label on that and like push it out into a list
2: yeah it's it's there's I've always thought of Barker is incredibly good at these stories of ecstatic transformation. Yes. Uh and it's cuz it's it's not like it's not like it's 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 not just pleasure, right? There's there's jouissance in the in the yes. in the often fleshly transforming. Um I, and I I mean I think maybe that is part of that is 100% part of the reason why he gets Left off those those lists. It's it's uh, it it makes. There's a degree to which a certain kind of audience will always find that really uncomfortable, but that's kind of the point, right? That's kind of the Mm -hmm. purpose.
0: And there's no, there's no, there's no big hallmark scene where like. Uh, uh, C- Cabal grabs, uh, uh, I don't know, Jared, his his long-term love interest and says like, oh, despite the odds, I extra gay love you. Like it doesn't have that like that that moment where we're like, we're like, uh, uh, you know, like kind of like heteron- heteronormative film culture can be like, oh, yes, this is a gay movie because there are two men being very gay inside of it. Huh? like it it lacks the the obviousness because it's a lot of like a a lot of like hetero film culture that that produces these kind of like best queer cinema lists and stuff like that
1: oh man i got a note about this and i'm trying to find it my notes are a mess. Imme- you can tell I got excited about this movie because it's just like screaming into Microsoft Word. Just <laughs> oh, take a, take
0: take all the time you need to find those notes, because through the magic of editing, it will sound like it took no time at all.
1: See, I'm so smart. Oh yeah, yeah, no. Like here's here's the uh, here's the thing that the and the, rather than acting as pure affirmation of a exactly as you were saying, Ash, I completely agree with everything you said. That this this constructed. Um, mediated and ultimately because of people's positions toward queerness sanitized version of that forming of the human subject it it's it's a way for you know yes it does you know allow audiences to eventually become you know when when a trans when they see a trans woman crying and taking her wig off at the end of the evening or whatever they can say oh she's sad we made her sad like it it's it's this very sort of like i apologize that i live literally next to a fire station and a police station by the way you will hear sirens constantly. it's
0: a, it's environmental storytelling for the audience don't worry yeah
1: i live off a four-lane highway uh or this is what orlando sounds like um no there's there's it, it doesn't do the necessary confronting of our own the own sort of desires that are manifested in a rejection of queerness which can often be very traumatizing and confusing but not in the way that you would probably think and more uh, more along this sort of like this sort of like downward pressing force from within our subjectivity that is seeking to you know both suppress anxiety and elevate this sort of speculation of not just who we are but w- who we think others want us to be and i have a very specific example which actually is i uh, uh, i'll have to uh, start it with a call out uh the comedian todd glass has a whole bit about this and apparently he wrote about it in his book but um, even though he's older than me, uh, he still ripped off my bit because I had been thinking of this for years when I heard him talk about it. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God, I'm not the only person who thought of this ridiculous thing. But there is I a really thought, hate
0: that kind of psychic literary uh, theft. Mm. Uh,
1: I mean, come on, right? Pl- plagiarism is what it really is. Uh, <laughs> no, like <laughs> it's there's this- Todd Glass talks about it. And so you, I can use Todd Glass as an example then, so I don't have to talk about myself. But- he, he <laughs> this idea that I had thought about as a young I grew up in a very very religious conservative environment. Fast forward to the end, great relationship with my parents now. They love me and my husband. Tons of progress, very very good stuff. But I grew up in an incredibly homophobic environment and w- had a, a lot of difficulty addressing my sexual orientation until I was honestly in my twenties, and there one thing that pops into your head that it as a des, as a means for sort of capturing the desire of who you people think they want you to be which is the nice good heterosexual man uh i thought about the ideas like i want to meet a woman and just be like okay i'm just i'm just gonna give it i'm just gonna give this a shot that's fine and then we get married and all of that stuff and then Oh no she comes down with some horrible disease and we can't do anything about it and it's horrible and it's awful and then she passes away and then i can just go on as bachelor and everyone will say oh well he just could never love another woman what a sweet generous man we should feel sorry for him and then i can go on and sleep with men as i please this is ridiculous (laughs) and i know this and of course this resulted in a lot of feelings of guilt and shame because The first thing I think is I don't wish a horrific illness on anybody. So, of course, this is this sort of imaginary, very childlike speculation that came into the mind of an older teenager, like this idea that, like, I don't want to watch anyone suffer. But like, what if in a world before I imagined this, like this could have manifested in my life and then I could be the person that everyone wants me to be while still not confronting the thing that is pressing directly on my little anxious button every single day, because in the back of my mind, someone could find out that I'm gay, and then I could be rejected by my family, I could be rejected by the community that I like, of course, I don't wish a horrific illness on somebody. But it was also a way through which I could not wish the potential suffering on myself that I had seen other people like me go through. Because here's why it's really ridiculous. Other how would other people react to my suffering when my wife died, they eventually they'd be like, hey, brother, I think some stuff's happening, you should move on and find someone else to share your life with, she would have wanted you to do so. But this is why this desire in my young self was so important. In order for me to fully comprehend my desire, I have to understand how we attempt to annihilate ourselves with our own desires and how desire is a very hard to articulate force. That can be a confrontation with how we see ourselves, with how other people see us, and our space within a very complicated world that seeks to simplify and rationalize all of its various ticks and problems, and like, like complete avulsion, uh, like aversion to difference and change. And so desire then becomes this force manifest from within me that not only seeks to like reconstruct and reconfigure myself, but it becomes the means through which I can articulate and understand why I'm doing the things I'm doing and why I feel the way that I do. And it can help me live just one more day to take a step in some other direction besides toward the imaginary solution of a, your straight spouse dies of a horrific illness. It's this like, that—that that is the kind of critique that Nightbreed is making. Like, why do I, like not just saying like, not just feel bad for the queers, but someone like truly trying to understand this production of consciousness. It's this very sort of like, it's this. It, it's a movie that gets so messy in its in that 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 sort of space between psychoanalysis and phenomenology that sometimes can get kind of gray. Like you're sort of the ideological chicken or egg question that sometimes just like oh god, well now I don't fucking know. I, you think you know and then you don't or whatever. You do your best to sort of like mediate that with theory. Um, and Nightbreed is sort of what I was talking about at the beginning of the episode, which is this sort of like. It's an emotional resonance to an incredibly difficult question that, like, the, its its own, its catch-22 is that in our sort of capitalist, realist imagination of the 1980s, in the early, the 1989, 1990, like, it was doomed for people to not understand what he was saying, I think, I think. And it was like, it's this, it's like, it's th- I feel like I'm not trying to say that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But you know, with the with the vision with the vision of hindsight, I can see how like we de-queer Clive Barker, how we de-queer this movie, and how like the sort of symbolic like m- point of substitution and then this point of this these overlaps and these sort of like metaphorical. Thought poems embedded within Nightbreed. I mean, I know that that was a horrible sentence, but you, I think you know what I mean. I know that <laughs> was that was an amazing. I, re- I just
0: I just wrote that down in my head because I'm gonna steal that later. That was a great sentence. <laughs> steal, please, please steal
1: it. I can't wield it anymore. Uh, there's just like, it's just like. There's a reason why. There's a reason why this movie talks a lot about dreams. There's a reason why we'll talk probably plenty about dreams, is because like dreams are forms that are ideologically driven in some ways and they it's a a a dream is a i'm going to paraphrase a very very smart psychoanalytic scholar Derek hook who's everyone's youtube channel you should go follow his lectures on there about he's a lacanian guy great great lectures on lacan and freud the to think about dreams as a process and as a form of thinking rather than as this sort of just in its pure sort of like an affirmation of its most basic latent material you know like i'm i i'm 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 up a creek without a paddle in a dream that means i'm nervous about the future or like like no it's not it's not just the dream as a production it's the thing around the dream that is producing it and that's what nightbreed is everyone any questions everyone understand that's just that's what nightbreed is (laughs) Jesus Christ! I blacked out. Uh, thank you, thank you, Professor,
0: for, uh, for for that lecture. That was fantastic. sweating,
1: <laughs> Ash. I'm sweating.
0: As you as you should be. You harness you harness the power there. That was that, that was good. I felt that.
2: And and you're right. You uh, that's this is the, this is this is this is actually maybe one of the best explanations of Baka that I've I've heard in a very long time of this. It isn't it isn't simply about the 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 kind of externality. of of, uh of of desire of of transformation of a kind of becoming into something else right it is about that internal uh i mean this is this is why Zizek, zizek says we don't we don't really want what we say that we want right because desire is sometimes never even known to itself um and this this conflict between desire and this Kind of existential pressure of being of a being a certain kind of subject is is the the tension which generates not just this and not just not just the power of Nightbreed but of of uh, of Hellraiser is is a theme there in Hellraiser two certainly and in lots of other Barker, of Barker's other work so yeah this, that was that was amazing
1: I'm sweating. <laughs> <laughs> the show, this show this, this, is, this
0: is see this is the power of that good film criticism you know like it <laughs> j- just as creating a good piece of art necessarily takes something from the people who create it creating good movie reviews necessarily takes something from the critic
1: i mean that, that's just like is that not what barker is necessitating by making something this unbelievably ridiculous and i mean that in the best like it makes it sound absurd i think a lot of people think nightbreed is camp and it's like this is not a camp movie this is like uh, some of the, the like some of the performances in this movie are like like unbelievably like dramatic and i mean that in like like the uh oh my god the the first uh the the death sequence when the fucking pigs find uh yeah yeah like oh my god that is like that is one of the best like death performances i think i've ever seen and the reason why is like it is not like and here and well here's the other thing here's the other real like here's the real other real testament to barker is that like so much of the readings that we're able to do of barker is like both in this like this really cruel joke that he plays on everybody, which is like getting us to do authorial intent while still like not explicitly really like saying exactly what like he's, 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 he he's, we, he's building a world and he's doing so in such a way that's so recognizable. That's so distinct. That is so like existential, which is sort of, I think a really important part of, his whole sort of body of work, but at the same time, that is so outside. I mean, and is is that not like, is Hellraiser really not just about like the sort of the inside out of abject horror and is Nightbreed not really this sort of like interior, exterior, like this sort of like sun and moon mediation? Like, pro- like the, the, is it not really like, Creating this moment for itself, and then we are able to go in and extract all of this other stuff. To where this is—I don't even know what the fuck I'm trying to say because Clive Barker keeps messing me up so much. This is his cruel joke. It's both like it's it, it's it's just masterful. It's just, and that's really all I think I can say about it. It's just like it's so passionate and emotional and also strange and alienating something that can make you feel both closer to it and like like push you away like in such and and then you just kind of like just like yeah you're like i understand why you're doing that Just like like it's just like it's this you can take this sort of like submissive stance when it comes to the art and just kind of let it wash over you in a way. And there's something so refresh not that's a terrible metaphor, but there's something so refreshing about that perspective that just like keeps me coming back to the, well, God, the metaphors make them stop. (laughs) Well, I
0: think I think one of the really interesting things about like and I think this is true about literally everything Clive Barker has ever done, like books, artwork, and cinema included, um, and comics. Um, uh, f- for the record, uh, Nightbreed ties into Hellraiser lore, because if I have have my memory right here, one of the Cenobites is dating one of the Tribe of the Moon. Uh, so there's a little a little behind behind the lore for everyone out there who, for some reason, was just waiting for me to say that. Um, but no, I think like I, I think one of the really interesting things about Clyde Barker's work is that he, I don't think he's interested in answering any questions. And I think that's what makes him so powerful because his work is more interested in understanding the question, which I think is, one, the necessary precondition to answering a question, and two, arguably the much harder thing to do.
1: No, you're completely right. And that's what makes it such a um sort of psychoanalytically charged film is that because oftentimes that's the it's the it's I think it's the thing that it's the thing that frustrates people most about psychoanalysis and that's understandable it's because it's it's a it's a it's a necessary sort of penetration into something that is literally like it it, it literally sits in some way outside of the usual way that we articulate things. And it attempts to, like, it attempts to, it's it's like we were talking about earlier. It it attempts to not just understand the sort of, like, manifest content of a dream when you analyze a dream. It's about the, uh, not, and it's in part about the latent content of that dream. And most importantly, it's about the, process of the producing that latent content, and how that works as the our function of our human psychology. So this idea that there's really like, let's, do, let, let's learn about uh, Freudian dream theory. There are four, uh, well, some say three, but if you're a Lacanian, there's four, four parts of uh, Freudian dream analysis. And I'm going to Pull them out of my ass. The first one is uh, displacement, which is when you change one thing to another thing in a dream. Uh, uh, the second one would be a condensation, which we talked about earlier, which is a compression or a superimposition or an overlapping of various multiple things into collapsing them or layering them into one thing. Um, another part is representation which is where our various thoughts become types of images that we project into our dreams. And then there's another element that we could talk about that goes into the Lacanian order of the unconscious as well, which is symbolism, which is where we make these various substitutions um, in our dreams. Um, th- there's a reason why, like when someone's, if someone asked me, like say, like I want to learn about Freud, where do I start? I'd probably point you to a couple of YouTube channels. And also I would say to... Um, basically, read to approach Freudian dream theory first. Um, it's because dreams are useful in um, both what they contain, um, as well as what they represent, and most importantly, in my opinion, um, what they, what and how they produce. And this is what uh, this is what Ash is essentially referring to. It's not just about the. Sort of manifests content of that and what that means within the same realm of symbolic representation that's just the mediating the mediating force of our sort of imaginations the sort of narcissistic and speculative parts of ourselves that seek to like validate ourselves in the way that we can sort of insert ourselves into symbolic orders the symbolic is basically it, it, it's a way that we can we can resist. A pure symbolization um, of, say, our contemporary moment in a piece of art, or of sort of art, and our sort of like fundamental existential questions. But it can bring the question out into the open and give us a chance to talk about it. Um, and that's way more fucking important than just like some like I don't know some like than answering the question for me. I can't even think of a different example, but like. Just Clive Barker, he doesn't do that. And and it's good because I don't like feeling like a baby all the time. And I feel like culture infant is constantly infantilizing me. And so it's nice to just kind of be like, you know, fucked up a little bit, I guess. I don't know. No, I, I, I
0: could.
1: Oh, good. Go on, go on.
2: And if we're dealing with someone who's deliberately making art about uh, about queer experience and queer desire, like desire is uh, never reaches its end point, right? We never, get, mm-hmm. we, never, we never get to the point whilst, yes. we're, whilst, we're, whilst we're still making art. We never get to the point of going, aha, okay, there we go. There is the terminus point of desire. Desire is always, is always an alive thing. So you never get the, the reductive closure that comes with a kind of uh, a different artistic or narrative form. Uh, reductive is the wrong word, um, the kind of straightforward kind of closure. Um, because desire is is uh, always in process. Desire is always, um, you know, never at, at the terminal end point. And desire is always excessive and always slips beyond that attempt to corral it into something.
0: Yeah, yeah, a- a- absolutely. And like, you know, like we mentioned this earlier too, but like desire is often, we often desire for things that aren't the actual thing we desire for. Desire is often a way to dodge what we actually want or a way to, there's often a fantasy element is a desire and that fantasy element protects us from the sheer unrelenting nightmare of reality, right? There are so many things that we desire, but to actually have that thing would be uh, a living hell. Yeah. Um, uh, see, see uh, doctor, professor, psychologist, uh, Decker. Uh, yes. <laughs> what is with psycho psychoanalysis psychoanalytic doctors from canada i'm noticing a trend now
1: <laughs> they're they're uh they're ego they're ego psychologists uh mm. post <laughs> post like 1970 or whatever they're like north american ego psychologists uh they're so they're excessively they're both excessively clinical as and like oddly imaginative but like authoritarian uh, like it's an authoritarian imag- imaginative kind of like psycho- psychoanalytic form of therapy where you drug your patients and uh convince them they murdered people um it's this really interesting like it's this really interesting take on the field you know personally if i uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't slip lsd to my patients but you know at the same he really is he does kind of represent this the like the like nineteen eighties medicalization of psychoanalysis. Oh 19- yeah,
2: a hundred. Yes, it's yes. So interesting. Uh, I and and what's interesting is is that it's it's as you say it's deeply authoritarian. It's a deeply authoritarian relationship, which is because what what is he? How does he self describe? He says, "I'm death." That's that which is which is it like it's it's it, it that's all it is. It's it's this very authoritarian discourse of the master and a kind of final, uh, overarching, unbreachable signifier. Right. That's that's Don't let me the, down. Yeah. It's this like death. Mm. Death is is I- inevitable, but is also mundanely authoritarian.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. No. Like, I I really I really like this read on on what we're kind of like weaving together right here because one of the things I was thinking about uh, in in regard to Decker's character. Is that like, in a lot of respects, like medicine more broadly, but very especially, you know, like psychology and therapy, are are woven into the machinations of capitalism, right? They're they're an essential part of capitalism's death drive. It's this undead thing that keeps living and keeps pushing forward, and in order to do that, it needs undead labor, and like so much of the contemporary like mental health apparatus isn't actually about finding healing it's about getting you to a place where you can go back to work and it doesn't matter how much you suffer to get there it just matters that you can clock in at the pizza hut
1: and yeah decor- there has to decor- be an answer yes sorry i interrupted you
0: no 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 you hit the nail on the head though so good quality interruption yeah <laughs> I just think Decker Decker is such a good symbol for this, right?
2: And a moment of appreciation for uh, David Cronenberg as well, for for, for making this work. Who who would have guessed that
0: he's just a really good creepy guy?
1: (laughs) (laughs) The secret he was keeping us from us all along. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> he really did bring it too like you can tell he i mean i don't i don't know for certain but you like you can you like that's that's exactly like i mean are did they didn't they talk i mean didn't they talk about it right i i think i remember like when i was googling about this movie uh a quote like a, about uh, uh barker referencing a conversation he had with cronenberg where uh Nightbreed came out and he said, like, bro, like this is like this is what it happens. People are gonna like people won't get it. Like everyone's gonna hate it. And then like in a little while they're gonna go, oh, you know, it actually wasn't that bad. You're gonna be a cult. <laughs> it's gonna be a cult classic. And like just this, like just this real like just this like it's 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 shit. It's all shit. And like you should just anticipate that this is going to keep happening to you. Um and like man, if there's like I don't know, are we at the point where we should talk about David Cronenberg's speech yet or like cuz holy fucking
2: shit. I I mean, I I just I I think he's so good in this film because he does this a lot in his acting where it's I don't even really want to call it acting. There's a kind of coldness. Yeah. Right? It's very it's very Flat affect. It's very analytic. It's very uh, cold, and it's because, like watching him on screen, like watching him on screen, like you genuinely do get the feeling of there being a kind of like absent self. Yeah. Even if even if like generally, some of the acting is is excellent in this film. Some of it is is okay. Well, yeah. But e- even even with those, there is this like like there are these kind of beautifully well realized rounded subjects and then decker is just this kind of like placeholder there's a there's there's nothing there there's nothing like behind behind the eyes there's just the, the buttons there's nothing there
1: it, it's very withholding and is that like is that is that performance not an embodiment of the character like the like the arbiter the the like like the the per- the person who the, the 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 gatekeeper the true like the like it's this like like i i feel like like dr decker is always standing at some place at some point between uh uh midian and between So there is this interesting part of Cronenberg's performance that is like I think I think John, you've really described it. It is very withholding. Um, it has this like like he is Doctor Decker is he's he's standing in front of Midian between Midian and between the uh, you know the quote unquote reality of our social socio-cultural sphere our world or whatever and he's like letting people go just just so far and then pulling them back in and then moving them in this yes very authoritarian just this like the ultimate form of gatekeeping it reminds me in like just stay with me it reminds me of the character of lucille bluth from arrested development and <laughs> There is a, there is a joke. There's a joke that triggered this. The, the person who knows that character best is her son Buster, also the most Freudian relationship in the history of television, besides literally all of the cast of Mad Men, like the uh, uh, like Buster knows her the best in this second or third, ep- third episode of the first season where Buster gets a little bit of independence from his mother, and they're all critic him and the siblings are all criticizing each other, uh, criticizing, criticizing Lucille in private as they do. And then Buster says the words, she gets off on being withholding. Um, And then everyone goes, oh man, Buster. And then he turned, he, speaking of Freud, he he immediately starts like free associating swear words and starts, everything's bleeped. And you can tell he's just saying horrible things about his mother that he's been holding in. One truth led to a series of what probably aren't necessarily truths, truths. he may probably to some degree, but really he does like he is in love with his mother, like, like that, that is the that is the truth that in his process of talk therapy, that would be the truth that that he would need to learn how to reconcile himself with the idea that he really is in love with his mother. And that maybe he just may in well, the best thing is to find someone who's her age and someone who well in his case has her exact name, he's getting a little too on the nose when it comes to his love life, and how to sort of repair this, like, really big problem that he has. And it like his it's created, he's becomes a man child and inability to grow up. Um, Decker is basically doing and and all this stemmed from a mother who has through her an extraordinary ability to withhold love and affection from her children controls them all the time and it's hilarious with an incredible like unbelievable performance from an actress who like a a comedic actress of her generation may she live seriously may she fucking rest in peace that was a really sad one and she lived a wonderful life but like like this is this this is the same character just in a different you know sort of genre context right like the idea that there is someone who truly does see themselves as like like the arbiter and the control like at incomplete control of their environment, the ultimate gatekeeper. And the problem, the real problem being is that in a lot of ways, they're right. And you have it's about figuring out and problematizing that what arrested development does is it goes internal. And it just shows like all of the fraught, you know, problems that come from trying to reconcile this, you know, structure of the family with the fact that you have cruel domineering parents. And in Nightbreed, it's about what happens when the like the like the realm of outside intercedes in this sort of authoritarian like structured relationship. So I guess Nightbreed is what if if in Arrested Development uh, Buster like met a guy who ripped his face off and like ran into the woods <laughs> and then went to Alberta
0: <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> I am. I am so here for Clive Barker's Arrested Development. Oh man, i would watched the <laughs> shit out of that. That would just be. Oh my god, just Cenobites out of nowhere. I am just so into this. Uh,
2: Ash, do you want to try to lead us into into a new segue?
0: I mean, how much can a lament configuration cost, John? <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. I think um. I I think an interesting conversation to have, and I think Kyle set this up pretty nicely there, is a conversation on masks. I just made, like, a big hand gesture, so imagine a (laughs) rainbow forming behind me right now. But, um, so one one thing that I find to be really interesting with this movie is... uh, it's, it's it's so direct with how it's depicting reality in a movie that's full of a bunch of goofy monsters mm. in, a, in a magic cemetery town in Alberta that for some reason people just kind of don't notice. It just exists in the periphery of their consciousness, which, I mean, there's a great metaphor. But like the masks thing is really interesting for me, right? Because, you know, Cronenberg's Decker, you know, like his his real human face is not his real face. You know, it's this plastic mask that he puts on so he can do some serial killing but for him it's actually an inversion right his character is like deeply insecure to the point of madness he's riddled with this anxiety about the fact that like the mask is a fake face it's a facade that he has to put on because he can't be accepted by the thing he needs to accept him and i think that he's there's this mirror character for this and it's really good it's uh hugh ross's narcissus yeah 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 um, and like, you know, we, we get that really like powerful and creepy scene where like uh, Narcisse cuts off his own face, you know, as a way to, to reveal to Boone his true face. But then later when he's transformed into a member of the Nightbreed, you know, we see that he retains, you know, like he's got this like monstrous skull that's got these like fleshy scales and veins, but he's still got his human face. You know, he was in the process of becoming himself the entire time. He never needed a face to hide behind or a true face to reveal. He was always revealing true his true self. And I think there's a there's a really interesting conversation there about like hiding from the self, internalizing the self, you know, uh, thoughts, anyone? Stunned silence. I accept it. <laughs>
1: Too many. That's the problem yeah the th- so the thing about the masks is that like it's an, it's another part where the sort of like fan- fantastic realm of clive barker's construction gives us an opportunity to like masks no longer have to be they, they don't have to exist within the sort of like material constructions that were used of them but it's about it's not just about masks but it's about faces and it's about faces that are beneath faces um, and what exactly that means. Everyone has a secret face. A lot of face discourse in this movie. There's a, faith, there's a face beneath... I have quotes all here. There's a face beneath this face. Uh, everyone has a secret face. Um, there's a part uh, in... Um, oh, goodness, I'm going to have to try and remember the character's name. Uh, Cheryl Ann. Uh, Cheryl, when Cheryl Ann and uh, Laurie uh head up to midian um well before that the night before when they meet in the bar cheryl ann uh says something that i think is really interesting uh, Is basically she basically says so much like like she comes to the bar and she's like oh she, she wants to meet a man she looks around and she's like oh there's not a whole lot of talent over here she's like why do i bother to look so good you know which is just first of all just an incredible moment like i love <laughs> I, I love that I, I love the energy of that um but at the same time this is this is a it's a little, I think, closer to the fundamental critique of the film uh, that that's that's you know that is driving the film, um, which is that like so much so much in the realm of social presentation, um, like necessitates like our energy, like um, and I mean that physically, it's just it's just it's just it's exhausting being a human being, uh, because rather than like we have this tendency i'm sort of paraphrasing zizek here but we we have this tendency to kind of walk around um like in our humanness um without understanding that beneath all of that humanness is just complete monstrosity and that we pretend to be human to get along really that uh like that like when, when i really understand myself i understand that i'm a monster <laughs> and that like this, this is the connection that sort of moves further from just this kind of like, you know, I have to I have to find my true self and understand I, I, I have Oh, God, it's pitch perfect. I have the magic in me. You can tell I've been watching these movies. It keeps coming back to this. I have the ma- Thank you, Rivers Cuomo. I have the magic in me. No, no, you don't. Absolutely not. That is that there is no magic in there. I'm sorry, Benji, the name of the character who sings that line in the movie can't believe that i remember that no you like like no absolutely not the problem with that is that like the 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 magic layer internal to yourself is existing within this imagined and symbolic space that is a mediation between the sort of the 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 inflated sense of self that we can have um as well as the like named or unnamed authorities in our sort of worldview that we capitulate ourselves toward and use to self identify, construct and police our behavior. Um, Like what the problem is that, like, what what truly exists down within yourself resists this symbolic process that allows you to find the magic within you Benji, there is no magic, there's a mess and like that's the and that's what that's what nightbreed i think is so lovely uh is because like like the the mess can be the the mess can have it 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 is it's not sugar coating, like midian is like Midian would be a scary place for anyone to encounter um i think there are there are complete there are continued complexities and processes that occur within that world that we, unfortunately, were not exposed to because we don't have the director's cut. Patreon.com slash War of Anger. Uh, like, the, <laughs> the, the, like we, we don't have an opportunity to, like, really make a direct confrontation when we're just trying to find the magic within ourselves rather than this monstrosity. And the idea that, like, the idea of, like, I think a measured and mature subject is being able to reconcile that with Like Ash was describing in the introduction to this episode, this, this part, that this, the, this, this, this thing within ourselves that is like producing and reproducing subjects, like, like, you know how, you know how like an Easter rabbit, like a chocolate Easter bunny is made, of course it's there's chocolate is melted down. And then that, that chocolate is put <laughs> placed into a mold. And then that mold is formed into a chocolate rabbit. But what if the machine just produced chocolate rabbits? And then what if the machine could then change and alter oh, them to where they're chocolate frogs or a chocolate chair or a chalk, like, a, like uh, what if they could make a, 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 a chocolate emotion what if they like what if they could make happiness in its essence out of like this is what like this this is this is the mess and the creation of subjectivity our machine is not distilling our main essence into this mold and we are the mold but we need to we need to we are the rabbit but we need to find the chocolate within ourselves no you're a chocolate rabbit um and like this, we're getting a little into Cartesian stuff here, but like I'm that's actually not I'm I'm not necessarily talking about the philosophy of mind here. Um, and more thinking about the Lacanian order of the unconscious and how we have a tendency to see these sort of imaginary, symbolic, and capital R real parts of our lives as these like we we most naturally try and like contextualize them as just like an ordinary, like son of a bitch or whatever, right? Like, I think like, no, I can't can't be too sort of imaginative in my personal life. Ultimately, what I need to do is I need to be austere and reserved. I need to to take care of the people around me who rely on me. Um, Maybe within that process, we can subvert that sort of deferral to the symbolic order, to deferral to that application of the name of the father and come to some other conclusion that can take take those essences and take those mechanisms and form them into something new after that. But the idea that like, the idea that like, we can't we have we have to look the idea that we can't just look at the dream that we have to look into the process of the dream, and the thing around the dream into the dream itself as the process and form of st- thinking and understanding that um, I think that's what I was trying to say when I started talking about Easter bunnies. But you know, like, sometimes <laughs> it just kind of, sometimes you just got to kind of roll. You know. I, God, I appreciate you so much. <laughs> I love Fort
2: One thing I wanted to pick up on one, in what you were saying about masks is this concept of mediation. Because it's... it's This idea that masks are in some way a kind of deception or an, or, or an obscured covering of what's actually really there is, I think, kind of backwards. Um, and, and really, mm, yes. masks are mediating forces that allow mm-hmm. for the kind of... The the ego covered in skin that we all are to exist in the world with a kind of minimal friction. Um, so masks are masks are mediating points at which two selves kind of intersect. Um, so this idea that they are in some some way kind of like a de- a deception or obscuring something of, of real or this this kind of very neoliberal discourse of like oh you just have to be yourself you know stop stop pretending and it's like really that's like if we're going to read this psychoanalytically that's incredibly (laughs) that's an incredibly kind of worrying thing to say because it's about exposing more of the inner core of subjectivity to the neoliberalized personal uh, economies of exchange that masks the, the face mask is there to mediate and to kind of help us circulate through in a way that doesn't kind of irretrievably damage the the that 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 messy monstrosity within all of us uh yes. mas- masks yes. are masks and the, the the transformation of the face there's lots of face discourse in this is super interesting precisely because it, it raises the question of the contingency of identity right this idea of a kind of singular self um you know what is decca you know, is it is it this kind of terrifying creature with the button eyes and the very long knife or the, the somewhat cold and reserved psychiatrist who loves collaborating with cops? And the question is, yes, obviously. And those two disparate multiplicities are mediated through a singular focus point, right? Which is that mutable, changeable face. Which one is the real face is really the wrong question, right? Yes, the, yes, que- yes. the question yes. is like, what is... What is the social function of the mask? What is it? What, Where do what faces does it do? come from? <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> okay, I've got I've got four four things. I've been taking notes. Um, this is so good. Okay, so lightning lightning round of thoughts that I've had uh, during both of you talking right now. Uh, one uh, obligatory mask for mask joke. Just going to put hey. that in here. <laughs> <laughs> but follow, follow it up with uh, a callback to an earlier joke. Um, I am I'm proud to announce Clive Barker's Pitch Perfect
1: um, in theaters this October. The sequel we always needed. Uh,
0: I I think I think your chocolate bunny analogy, uh, although completely out of left field, in a way that makes me swell with joy, um, <laughs> is is. So appropriate, right? Because it's not—it's not even that like you're—you're you're a chocolate bunny who's trying to find the internal real bunny. It's that you're in the process of chocolate bunny-ing. You know, your your identity is never static. It's—it's never—it's never frozen in a moment, right? At, at some point, a toddler's gonna bite your ears off, and who you are will fundamentally change, right? Or or you'll wind up in the hands of like a TikTok culinary influencer, and you'll get transformed into some <laughs> kind of like gourmet galaxy bunny or something right oh like the man thing that you think you are is always in the process of changing You're and recognizing in the, the sheer fluidity yeah yeah i mean like it's 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 and like both of those things aren't mutually exclusive either right they could be woven together and so the, the process of recognizing one's own identity is recognizing that even in the moment of recognizing it you've changed it you know, uh, uh, oh my God, not to—I just—I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna become one of those theory guys that that invokes like quantum language, but like observing yourself changes yourself. You know that—that's how non-static this process is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and 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 uh, final final thought, right? Like to the whole like neoliberal like always be yourself thing. I, I think Nightbreed is such a good remedy for that right because like from boon to cabal right his entire character as being this kind of like you know insecure troubled young man all the way to like this like queer savior figure of underground monster kingdom um you know like that is all him that's all his identity he never found his true self he never became his true self He's always been Boonslash Cabal. It's just what constitutes Boonslash Cabal changes through his life, right? There is no discovery of the true self. There is only the continually, the, the ability to continually embrace the fact that what we are is contextual and changes. You know, and, and in the end, I think, like, one, like, this ending is really hopeful and it's really nice, but I think, like, collectively, like, the the savior figure destroying the home that like the the home kingdom of the monster people and everybody being really chill about that is this kind of recognition that like you know wh- who and what you are will always change and sometimes much more dramatically than in other moments but it's never static and yeah. and, and and several rants yeah and and isn't that isn't that, like i i agree with you isn't
2: isn't that the kind of beautiful thing right this this idea of a kind of the the tyranny of the one, in terms of subjectivity, this idea of like uh, who you were, who you were told that you had to be, was the only thing that you could be, and your only choice was to be more quote unquote authentically. That is horrifying. Like there's a kind of glorious freedom to 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 uh, boon slash cabal, right? To when when this this multiplicity and contingency and and this this uh radical shift is actually embraced
1: yeah there is a like there is a really interesting I think sort of philosophical freedom that is and that's part that's part of the sort of that's why that's why <laughs> well to, to call it the good psychoanalysis some people would not like that but you know I'm just gonna call it the like to, to, a psychoanalysis that attempts to sort of push back against or resist the like sort of medicalizing discourses of more popular. Yeah, like more, more popular versions of North American ego based psychology, or talk therapy, or even like parts of like, um, like other elements of clinical psychology that like, do in some way, shape or form have an, like, effective, effective way of like, mediating the parts of the self that are like interfering with our ability to live within the social world, and then, like, like that's that's what it, that's what that's when you know people who are interested in other types of psychoanalysis go go on, and oftentimes they don't, which is the problem. Is that like, like the reason why the like the reason why you can't medicalize this sort of psychoanalytic thinking is because that the medicalization of it implies that endpoint in some way, shape, or yes. form, it's sort of like, like, it, it is a it is like a, an epistemological limit, if you will, um, on the like, just really the idea of, like, 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 sort of like the the composite, if you understand that they're like, we are the sum total of many things. Uh, many of those things are knowledge based discourses that we sort of like, this is sometimes a problem. Um, well, the means by which we can overcome those knowledge based discourses whether you think it's something that l- exists beyond a like psychoanalytic notion of the subject whether you think it's more sort of like whether you have a more purely historicist sort of like maybe more purely Foucaultian perspective on the question the the here's the thing about neoliberalism that's worse than all of that The reason why neoliberal, like, individualized, atomized, I've got the magic in me crap is, like, (laughs) absolutely. All of that that stuff is whatever is, you know, we can have conversations about the disagreements between those schools of thought and what we individually think. But the real criminal here is neoliberalism's ability to constantly force us to tap dance ourselves to death. Mm -hmm. Basically, this idea that, like, this, like, there, there is always going to be a fleeting sense of self. And that is your fault. It is your fault for not smiling and singing about how you have the magic in you. It's your fault for not doing collegiate acapella. It's your fault for not existing within this particular social construction, be it via gender, be it via class and race, whatever various constrictions and categories we have for, you know, putting human beings into you know various observable Sort of functional groups, all very important, good stuff. I am a historian after all. Like, what is really fucked up is when, rather than just like, rather than just like, you like letting us all be miserable, we have to perform our joy in this like, like, I have to go, I have to go to university to find myself. Like, which, like, hey, you know, like, like expanding the sense of self and thought is all very good or whatever. But finding – it's like what Ash was talking about earlier. Finding yourself is really like finding yourself within, you know, a good field that's going to just get you to work. Just get to work. Go work. And like, you. okay, you need to go to college to quote – you you can't have any sense of self within like neoliberal capitalism. That's fine. Go to college to quote-unquote find yourself. But then like, like – is that not in and of itself its own mediating process by – the sort of economic implications within the neoliberal university to guide and direct and like punish those who like either in in pedagogy and labor struggle against its sort of base impulses like we can like there is really so much within us and that's the problem is that like and like you you have to reach within yourself and pull out this like the the you you, have, you oh god please don't boo me you have to pull like neoliberalism is about finding yourself by pulling literally pulling a rabbit out of a hat like
2: <laughs> but no you're right you're right this 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 is this is precisely the point that I was trying to articulate right there is there is so much within you right and that that's what that's what Nightbreed is about it's about that 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 horrifying realization but also that desperate uh, jouissance laden delight and ecstasy of allowing just even a fraction of that monstrous excess that is contained within all consciousness to be made present into a world that treats that excess as a kind of hostile threat to its economic modes of distribution and control.
0: And I think, I mean, like I think this is all so well embodied within the text of *Nightbreed*, even even on a meta level, right? Like I think Clive Barker is going to turn sixty-nine this year. Uh, nice, um, but nice. also, like, the even even if Clive Barker was to be able to go back and kind of complete this epic Star Warsian saga, it would never be the same kind of saga that is made today right it's like a completely different and recontextualized product right it would be movies and sequels that no longer act and operate the way that they would have <laughs> if they were made in situ with the first one you know so like the the identity of nightbreed is incomplete and even at the end like what is what is the end of nightbreed the end of nightbreed is people hanging out in a barn saying yeah, he's probably going to come back in the morning when him and his girlfriend are done having monster sex <laughs> you know, and, and the, scene, the scene before that is, like, this demigod figure saying, like, okay, like, you've really screwed up, um, and now your new job is to go find me again out in the world. Like, you know, like, my energy as a deity will disperse, and you must go re-encounter it. So, like, we, we get this, this is a massive cliffhanger ending, like, this is a massive point of, of uncertainty that, that that goes on right here, it, that, that reflects, I think, so well... The, 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 uh, you know, like the, the, I contain that I contain multitudes thing that this movie is trying to do by refusing to have through, through both intentional craft and just kind of consequences of fate, a concrete ending, because we won't ever have a concrete ending. Yes. Yeah.
1: Oh man. Focus on one thought at a time. Wow. (laughs) And, yeah, go no, please, go go please. And that and that
2: and and Ash is right. That's that's beautiful, but um, it, it, there's also something horrifying about that. And and horror isn't necessarily a negative emotion, right? This is the this is the whole genius of of Clive Barker, right? Horror is is um, like we don't need to rehash the kind of Burkean distinctions between you know notes on aesthetics. We don't we don't need to do that. But horror is predicated upon this um dynamic of repulsion and attraction you know this the, there is there is something very beautiful about the ending and the, it's indeterminacy and it's and it's a uh, constant ever-generative movement forward and there is something kind of horrifying about that this this is one thing that thomas ligotti is really good at doing as well um this, this the potential of transformation to lead into the radically new because that's what is talking about and both Barker and Lugosi do this in, but in different ways. Barker talks about it as a kind of like ecstatic becoming whereas Lagosi finds the the potential of transformation into the radically new. It's kind of obliterative. It will it will destroy you and that's horrifying. And I think both of them are not those are not contradictory ideas about the nature of horror, right? They they can be true simultaneously.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's, I think it's also worth like, especially in the context of Nightbreed, underscoring where the horror comes from in Nightbreed, because the horror, it it doesn't it doesn't come from the fact that that Boone is a normal guy who has these nightmares about becoming a monster down in Monster Town. The the horror comes from the <laughs> fact that that once the, the tribes of the sun, aka humanity, and the tribes of the moon, aka monsters, y- used to live in relative peace, but then humanity, uh, you know, got a little genocide-y and and started taking them out and now they have to live underground they have to live hidden there's this all of this tension all of this unresolved generational trauma that's woven into it right like there i think there's a reason why the two bad guys in this movie are just these powerful emblems of patriarchy and the state and capitalism right like they're they're a malevolent therapist figure and like literally the police you know, like that's the, those are the driving engines for the terror here, right? Like the spoopy monsters are incidental. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. Precisely. New, new, new top 10 list uh, for, for honestly, you know, given, given the length of our show, I think we can now do a top 147 list, but a top 147 list about uh, horror movies that are simultaneously queer and a cab. <laughs>
1: it's just like go down y'all's y'all's episode list is like a really good place to start with that list i think this is like no this is like the the thing about man this is a part of a part of barker that i like is that like is there is there anyone else who is making film who has more of a in the zizekian sense and a perspective on christian atheism than like just like, Ooh, legit, like legit. I, I don't know, I don't know if any, I don't know if anyone else is is really doing the theology within fiction, fictional cinema that Clive Barker is doing, because really it is like, it's about like it, it's what like Badiou and Žižek have said in sort of their like in sort of their opposites meeting in the middle, kind of kind of a sense. Badiou on his book on Paul seeking to sort of like like find the radical within the Christ event as an, as through Paul, like, and uh, in a sense, rescuing Paul from uh, a like, like sort of in in a sense, de-institutionalizing Paul from his contemporary popular iterations. Mm -hmm. And then Zizek on the other hand, re-institutionalizing Paul in a sense as the, the Lenin after Marx, the sort of like, Attempts to refine and disperse the Christ message through the mediating social world. Um, This is like these are two very very important sides of like that aren't that are like very much complementing each other in a lot of ways in my opinion. But the particularly through this rupture, thinking of the Christ event as a rupture in the. constructions of the pre-christian world and how uh it 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 does now become about like how you're going like god really god you know when god became an astronaut when christ died on the cross and rose in three days like i know it sounds like i'm doing sunday school now but like thankfully hopefully your followers know i'm not like an evangelical or anything but like i do think a lo- <laughs> i do think a lot about christianity because i was raised in it and i it's I'm a. This is the thing that I never talk about. I'm actually I'm trained as a historian of antiquity for some reason, and I write mostly about the Apostle Paul. Also for some reason, I just I woke up one day and I was doing this, and like. But the thing about Paul that's important is that like, he is the, it, and the interpretation of the Christ event is that Paul what Paul is what happens after the end of the Nightbreed, and like in all of his in all of his sort of like the imperfectness of his text and the deuteropauline texts and you know like what paul shows us is that saul can become paul and he can do so through a rupture in the social world and the a rupture in the sociocultural constructions that are in front of us and the ways that we construct our own subjectivity can in fact be ruptured and saul can become paul and it happens often through these events that can that that in the sen- in the sense of the uh, gospels tear through the temple curtain and bring all of this other stuff out into the open it's this sort of like it's really like it's this really important lesson I think and it's the only like you know all the people you know, there's so many like big budget like I, I, Star Wars has been my example I'll just I'll keep laying on it Star Wars thinks it's doing so much theology and it's like it's like no you're not like because you didn't do any of that theology that that's that, like that that's not that's not telling me anything about like who god is what god could be and then moving on and saying how really is how really how, what really is the mess of the dialectic between heaven and earth like this the dialectic between heaven and earth and the as a manifestation of humanity in our absolute like trash garbage status, not in like an original sin kind of a way, not like I'm is I'm on <laughs> I promise. I, I I always have to clarify this for people who don't know me, and if you have thousands of listeners, uh the, the like in in a in a sense of that like the human subject is as we've been talking about like something that is becoming and often in this process of becoming and that becoming is like often very messy and what you know what the bad stuff of our contemporary moment which is a lot of capitalism attempts to do is to clean all of it up and put a big like put a bunch of whipped cream and a cherry on top of the gigantic tart of human subjectivity and instead we just need to like it's so much less about like who we are, and so much more about who we could can be. And then yeah. the superstructure over that is knowing that this is a tre- this is a moving goalpost. This is a treadmill that we're on. Whether it's like omnidirectional treadmill for fans of AGAB that will actually that's actually been AGAB before. <laughs> oh I just thought of that. <laughs> Your uh, your VR omnidirectional treadmill <laughs> or whatever. Like like not limited by that, you know, weird device that definitely looks like it's going to kill somebody someday. You like it's it's that's the floor. The floor is the treadmill. Like whether you're going in one direction, whether you're going in 10 directions, the idea that like, I, I am me in the process of becoming me. That is who I am. Yes. And if if, it's the bunny. Yes. I mean, right. Like more than that is more than that is too much and becomes authoritarian in its imposition on either uh, the necessity that we place the restraints on ourselves or the necessity that we f- go within culture to then pull out a series of restraints or we just turn around and let culture kind of like reach out its tentacles and kind of grab us and hold us into place. Whatever prison of our own making, like <laughs> that, 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 that we are like that we are given the tools for and then taught how to put together or that is placed over us or you know whatever you know parts of disagreements between structuralism post-structuralism people want to read into whatever it is i'm saying i'm trying to be you know it's not what like to be completely honest in the context of pulling like a like what's most useful for all of us out of this meeting is not probably going to be found within the academic disagreements and the arguments about the like exact construction of subjectivity what really and this is why this is why barker so important and this is why it really is it's it's a like like it's the re- the real criticism of capitalism is that it was never going to give space for clive barker to be clive barker it like <laughs> like it was never it was never going to allow for us to begin having the conversation in the first place so we talk about subjectivity and we talk about the idea that like so much of what we want is not based off of this like you know, the the, the magic inside of ourselves, but isn't this, that is a, a messy and difficult process that is mediated across this plane of human experiences that we try and sort of place into, we try and categorize, examine and study closely. And like, to like, that all has the limitations of human language boiled, like, there's so much here. But like, really, like I mean, you know, my ramblings brought me around to I think the nice point of what I was trying to say, which is that, like, like I like filmmakers that like pick me up, place me on my feet, and push me forward. I like filmmakers that bring me, or like, not even that. Like, that's too like that's too limiting. Limiting in the body. I like to be like spectrally moved forward by a story, um, in its imagination, in its like self examination in its ability to sort of like i like something that's artful and like also saying something um and doing so in a way that's going to make people who are looking at artful things uncomfortable i think that really is what it boils down to that's what horror <laughs> is right like oh like Fuck your bourgeois sensibilities, and also let's read theory, like, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, come on,
0: right? No, I, I think that I think you you. I mean, like, I know I know John's going to want to jump in on the theology stuff. Um, I would assume, so I'll just I'll just get in with a couple quick hits and say that like, I think there's a reason why you're at labor Kyle and not at Pauline Kyle, and I think that reason <laughs> is very important. <laughs> um, but I would I would say that like. Man, there's there's so there's so many things I want to comment, on. I think one of the things that makes Clive Barker's cinema really what really really great is that like we're we're talking about a lot of things that have been kind of like recaptured and reified by capitalism, right? We're talking about religious experience, which is that has happened to that. We're talking about queerness; queerness has been recaptured by capitalism. You know, we're we're talking about you know therapy and medicine that's been recaptured by capitalism. But I think Nightbreed, especially in, in Barker's work in general, is kind of like to, to paraphrase a, a popular saying of the day, like, like, you know, he's saying who's queerness, our queerness, right? Who's God, our God. He's reclaiming these things and, and that process is inherently deeply complicated. And like to, to your comment about prisons, right? Like Midian is a prison, I, I think is think a, a great way to, to because Midian, Midian's destruction is necessary, right? Because Midian isn't salvation for the Nightbreed. Midian isn't where the monsters go because it's where they can be free. It's where they go because they have to hide in a subterranean cell, right? The the base, what is the base and core level of Midian, right? Like it is literally a prison for monsters that monsters can't even contain. You know, it is carceral fundamentally at its core. The deepest level of it is a carceral little pen for the, for the super monsters. And so the destruction of that represents this necessary and threatening liberation because you're, you're losing a place that you think is safe and you think is secure, but it's actually been part of what's been holding you back and instantiating your impression this entire time.
2: Yeah. 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 I, I actually really, I think that makes the whole thing uh, a much more, uh, that kind of makes the, the theological aspect of the story much more explicit as well if you consider Midian as something that is necessitated by prophecy to be destroyed. Yes. Um, Totally. Because that's, that's that, that's, uh, and uh, Kyle, I don't know whether you know know that, but you said uh, one of the uh, activation phrases for my Manchurian (laughs) candidate brain uh, by referencing Clive Barker and theology. Um, There's a really important point and and another dialectical relationship uh, that has to be explicated, which is, the link between imminence and transcendence. Um, Bach is incredibly interested in transcendence, but transcendence is always mediated through the flesh. Like religion, religion or actually specifically, specifically uh, Christianity is not a, uh, is not a kind of immaterial thing. Um, you know, Kyle knows this because he writes about it all the time, but it's something that is, uh, literally in, in fleshed and then lived out in the bodies and and practices of of its adherence so it is it is at the same time religious experience is always kind of beyond the physical world but is always mediated by and through the physical and material world which is why and which is so, why barker yeah. is so explicitly religious because he's uh, or rather theological because he's concerned with what does the immaterial do to the material, which is the kind of basic interaction pattern of of theology, right? It's the basic it's the basic dialectical relationship between uh, the divine and the world. So uh, it's 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 precisely uh, it's it's precisely embodied in fleshed and collective. So Ash is you know Ash is completely correct. It isn't a it's it's a messianic story that's played out communi- communally. Because it's about, uh, it, I mean, it literally opens with a kind of art fresco that uh, has Clive Barker's name superimposed on what is clearly referencing a Pieta, you know. And we see that restaged in the film where um, Boone has the first bites taken out of him. Um, so uh, uh, yes, basically. And I'm going to stop talking there, otherwise I'm I'm going to black out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, wonderful. I think I think we've gone some exciting places in this episode that is now, I think, approaching two hours, getting getting up there. Let me
1: see, An hour and 40 something minutes, I think.
0: Go team. We're so okay. we're so good at this. So um, I think I'll I think I'll open the floor to any any uh, closing arguments before we get to our questions for the audience segment.
1: Um, my first closing argument is that I'm going to go back to Paul for a second. Um, <laughs> I will make it closing retroactively. Um, there's a, I go back a lot to the writing of the, uh, the great historian Wayne Meeks who wrote kind of the book on like, there, like there are essay collections that are like, what did we do after this book? Um, it's, it's called the first urban Christians, um, and it is so completely and utterly important when it comes to that thing that we were talking about. That that thing that John so perfectly, because oh well, well he literally wrote a book about it, talks about which is this sort of m- the 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 processes through which like material, immaterial, that sort of transcendent, the stuff of transcend- transcendence comes in and sort of reconfigure, reconstructs, imbues, um, fails to alter, removes stuff from, adds to this sort of like this really like kind of nasty process in a, a nasty, I mean that both in its literal sense and in the kind of like, it's really cool. kind like, this kind of like really it rips. And it's, it's rough and it's hard to like, see, like it's really where the rubber hits the road when it comes to a lot of this cultural criticism stuff. And if you're not paying attention to like, you know, theology, I don't know, what are you doing, man? But at the same time, like there's, there's a way through which that Paul is capable. And I'm thinking about the seventh chapter of the Roman to the, in his epistle to the Romans or the church in Rome, I think in particular as well, uh, there's an edited volume of the writings of St. Paul that is edited by Wayne Meeks and John Fitzgerald um that has I think a really significant and interesting section that talks about this sort of twice born man uh that becomes so important to the ennobling empowering and sort of it's it's it 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 is a way to describe this by God's grace happened to me and thus under God this can happen to you um is the self-transcendence of the Pauline story and like it re- that really does lead into my closing arguments for Nightbreed is that th- there's a reason why Nightbreed, there's a reason why we're able to sort of pull so much out of Nightbreed um, that that can that can that, that there's a reason why Nightbreed can be such a gift. It's that like not only does it it do- and it doesn't it, and this is one of the things that it doesn't necessarily do so explicitly. Well, it does. it. it he says it at the end, but he doesn't show us it, it. It is a powerful um Uh, diagnosis of the problems of barker's contemporary moment and it actually offers a vehicle through which we can potentially maybe transcend and overcome them it's this it it is um i'm reading a book that's talking about this but it's it's the part of um the sort of Kantian manifest, though, in the Critique of Pure Reason that talks about the philosophical question of what do we hope for that is so often neglected in contemporary scholarship or in the sort of repeating post-Kantian moment that we live in when it comes to philosophy. What do we hope for? And like, how might it manifest itself? And then how might it then, now that we have the knowledge of the 21st century, get sucked up back into like the mode of production, for example, or the dominant discourse? You want to go power with it. How might it be reclaimed, uh, like taken away from the place where it came? Um, and and there's like, there the universalizing of a potential for salvation is, an, like Nightbreed is like, it's the most Christian film ever in that way. Like, cause it truly, not only does it pull sort of like the, the lack of a better term, the often turned into kind of a hippy dippy, you know, love your neighbor message of the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth, all important stuff. But it does not, not neglect to say like, how do you go out and build the city? And what, what for those of us who feel the urge within us to move out and, like really really sort of like i don't know like 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 to 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 uh, to understand what it means to be sort of moved toward another person in solidarity and not just this purely sort of like shallow manifest way that we just can kind of like pick out from our experiences and place into the scheme of just like well, it's nice to be nice. All that shit can be all that shit's true. You should love your neighbor. You should look out for them. But, like, what does it mean when you do? And, like, what does it mean when you don't? And, like, what does it mean to actually transcend our idea of who and what a neighbor could be? and to move into unto, unto some larger scheme as a way for like, is that not what building the kingdom of God is supposed to be? A way to raise up and reach down and retch from the disgusting heavens and pull it down here with the beasts? You know, are we not like waking up within our own dream when we're doing that? Is that not the transcending act of the dreaming God? You know, to give us the ability to w- awake ourselves within our dreams, and to see the dream, the reality of the dream for what it is, is that not something that's noble and worth fighting for? And if that, if so, is that not so fucking Marxist when you really think about it? Is that not the like the driving force of history being like? grabbed and pulled and forced into a mold through which that we can process and create something better and new? Is that not something so much more transcendent and powerful than any shallow base theology, any sort of like, like edgy new atheist crap, any of this we're all African bullshit is that not like is it not the is is the future does does the future not belong to the working class or does it belong to the working class and does that not transcend <laughs> all of the stupid bullshit that we have to like deal with in our lives is that not some i mean is it not is it not just my better master is my be- master signifier beating up your master signifier and if so like i don't know maybe it's just that like that that what's that movie where wolverine like where's like fights as a robot like in a video game like with boxing what like he what was that movie <laughs> i don't know that yeah oh, that's, you, that's my, that's my take about, on that are you are you thinking about chappie here no it's not chappie i thought it was chappie but i don't think that's
0: chappie
1: i don't think that, wait, that wait, is wolverine the, that...
0: kills chappie Oof. oh i gotta go back and watch
1: that <laughs> I just I want everyone to know that, um, while I was, uh, while we were just riffing there, I was a very, in a very manly way, opening a jar of pasta sauce for my husband. Oh man, I feel good. Hell yeah. <laughs> you, you, gotta, you gotta do thought.
0: something with those guns.
1: <laughs> I, I'm trying.
2: What about, what about you, Ash? What about you? What, what's your kind of closing take on this?
0: I mean, I, I had a closing take, and then I I, I just got like blown away by the, the 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 sheer orchestral majesty of Kyle's closing take. You know, like that is how you do podcast Danu Like that was that was just a closer. Uh, you you suck. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> Thank you. For let, let
0: us let us
2: let us let us wrap this up then with some questions for you, our audience
1: scientists of all ages Who? What? brilliant just brilliant
2: this is a new thing that we're we're trying to build into the show we want to continue the conversation right art uh, as with desire when art never arrives at a kind of final uh fixed interpretation because then it's been reified into something other than the multiplicity of uh, of itself that still speaks to us, right? So, a couple of questions for for people. I have a nice, nice, easy, straightforward one. Uh, what is your favorite Clive Barker uh, film or adaptation, and why? Um, please do check out ones you've never seen. Please do respond to people who like the same stuff as you.
0: And I have a follow up to that, and that's what is the queerest Clive Barker film, and why? Uh, Have fun with that get weird with that. I look forward to your answers and my other question is uh, so Midian this where the monsters go is in Alberta, Canada. Um, There is so much to discuss with locating Midian within Alberta and my question is why, you know, why is it so necessary to have the locus of the other literally next door to us. Why is this so common to horror. I think that'll, that'll do it for the questions and the conversation today. I want to uh, thank Kyle and his wonderful dog for showing up in our episodes. today. (laughs) Every time, every time. (laughs) That's okay. That's a huge value add. We gotta, we gotta get more pets on the
1: show. No, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to be here. More people should, uh, I'm glad that more people are catching on to horror Vanguard, they should. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, it's a good podcast. And uh, the, uh, the two sentence reason why, although my sentences can be very long, is uh, point one, um, it's important to not uh, neglect the culture that makes uh, the people you dislike uncomfortable. Um, and two, um, uh, oh man, I forgot my second point, spooks and scares that's my second point thank you for <laughs> that's a good it's a good second point that should be our this should be our new
0: like our, our new like slogan for the show Spooks and scares well thank you everyone for joining us for today's episode on clive barker's nightbreed uh, please make sure to check out all of the links for labor kyle's podcast youtube writing patreon all the good stuff will be down in the show notes and promoted on twitter so you can find it all there Thanks for tuning in, creeps, and remember, stay spooky.